You're listening to TechNest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, well, what a fun show we have for you guys lined up today. I'm excited because I got a fellow podcaster on the show. I've got Mike Wolber. He's the chief revenue officer, his day job, at Rent Dynamics. Rent Dynamics is a prop tech company. They've been around the block for a little time now. They just turned 10 years old as a company. They've got three core products that serves the multifamily industry. CRM, contact center, and of course, financial amenity for residents where they report on-time rent payments to credit bureaus. They call that product Rent Plus. We talk all types of things of prop tech, trends in the industry, but also we get into a little bit about the side projects that Mike has going on. It's part of the value he brings to companies he's at. His podcast, the Modern Multifamily Podcast, and even we talk through the podcast network he's building. He's one of the few that really does give back into the industry, and I don't say that lightly. I really think that uh, Mike's one of the rare ones in this industry. So let's go ahead, jump in, hear what he's working on, and hear what Rent Dynamics is all about. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the show. Nate, thank you for having me, man. Happy to be here. I'm excited to have you here. It's always good to have another podcaster on the show. You're, You're used to being the interviewer, and now you're on the other side of the mic. How's it feel? Yeah, ep- episode 80 of my show went out today, and I've uh, been doing it for about two years, and it's fun. You know what's cool is that you didn't prep me for this episode, and I think for some people that might like really stress them out, but when you're comfortable being behind a microphone, it just kind of makes for power and having fun. So looking forward to the chat and excited to get to know you, to get to know you more today as well. Now, I... In fairness, I, I actually don't prep any of the guests before we record. So uh, our process and my our process, I used to have some help, but I am now a, a one-man band, very streamlined. Uh, and it is really simple. You know, I have a questionnaire and you, you saw the questionnaire, which kind of preps you because you, you, you know, provide some things that you might want to talk about or dig into. And I do have a pre-show rigmarole, typically. We'd, we'd go into, like, I'd lay out how many questions I might ask you in the time period, and then what do you want to get into? What do you really want to make me fo- focus on? We kind of went into that a little bit. Let's talk about stories and numbers and examples, and that kind of jazz. That's usually the prep, but you're a seasoned pro. I didn't feel like, you know, that would be uh, necessary here. I knew that you were going to be able to handle it hot on the mic. Yeah, well, I'll do my best, pun intended. Mike is ready to roll with you today, man. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm excited to have you on the show here because you're quite a dynamic guy. You've got a handful of things happening here. CRO, full-time at a prop tech company called Rent Dynamics. You've got your own podcast. 
the modern multifamily podcast. And then you have a podcast network you're building called Smarter Living. I want to start with right at the top. How are you managing? (laughs) Just Uh, right from there. Really good at drinking coffee. Really good at prioritizing and have really just like fallen into this like core belief that like what you do should energize you and everything I do right now energizes me. I've really cleared my life of drain. So I do work a lot. I'm on almost all the time, but I, I just enjoy the heck out of this industry, out of building. Um, I love media. And so I think I'm just doing things that really give me energy and joy, man, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so let's, let's start with the day job. Let's, let's jump into the day job. You're the chief revenue officer at Rent Dynamics. First, what, what is Rent Dynamics for our listeners? And then uh, give us a little bit of background as to what it means to be the, the CRO. Yeah, for sure. So Rent Dynamics, we're based in northern Utah. We HQ out of Logan. We're about an hour and 15 minutes north of Salt Lake City. And been in business for 12 years um, come this summer in June. And uh, really, as a as a business, we're we're focused on our core mission, which is to make lives better. And I'd say that comes through in our product set. We really help residents find their next home. We've got a 24/7, 365 contact center. We've got a core CRM product that's used by hundreds of thousands of units across the U.S. on site or centralized to facilitate you know a predictive and smooth leasing process. And then we're also fintech because we've got a massive and growing quite rapidly product and program called Rent Plus, where we help residents level up financially. We report uh, rental payments to the credit bureaus to help them establish and improve credit. And then when they're ready, we'll help them facilitate the home purchasing process through one of our core programs called the Advantage Program. So really full cycle on the resident side, um, but work with many of the largest owners and multifamily operators out there. So you said 12 years now, Rent Dynamics has been operating. Yep. And, you know, I, I will, you know, I'm not the be all of like where companies are at, but it really seems like if I had to kind of take a step back, you guys have had a breakout in the last few years. Uh, Cause I, you know, I, admittedly, I don't know if I, I don't know when we got connected. It might've been like two years ago or something like that for some time now. Um, but that's when I first started noticing you know, you guys popping up in more conversations, seeing more, uh, hearing more about you guys. What is that true? The last few years have been a bit of a breakout. And if that, if so, like, what do you attribute to what's, what's been going on that's helping you guys break out, especially, you know, after that long a time period of building? It's a great question. And it's true. I would say that, you know, the tail end of 2020, the early days of 2021 is really when we started to accelerate. And, I was recruited in the fall of 2020 uh, after really fun six years at G5, a company that had a really successful exit into the RealPage ecosystem. And I joined as our first time chief revenue officer hire to really help orchestrate a go-to-market process. So I oversee Mm -hmm. marketing, sales, as well as customer experience. And, you know, I was fortunate to join a business that just had a remarkable sense of of how to take care of customers and how to be customer-led. So Mm -hmm. lots of our business had been through the founders selling, customers being wildly referenceable. And as we've applied, you know, structure and force to go to market, marketing, sales, in-field, in-territory, all that kind of stuff, 
you know, it's really just allowed for a faster, um, you know, explosive growth. We've added about a million units to the platform since I joined. Um, wow. And that's not because of me. That's because I joined a business that was just ready for, you know, that kind of orchestration. So it's been incredibly fun. And um, we've also, you know, really prioritized collaboration and just doing it, I think, the right way. It does seem to correspond pretty well to you starting at the company and the company taking off. <laughs> it's, that, funny. it's not a bad thing to put on a timeline, man. You know, it doesn't mean it's all causation, but it's certainly correlated. You know, it, I also would say that I I handled one thing really well, which was, was joining at the right time. Because I think if I mm-hmm. joined a couple years ready before or earlier before certain things were in place or if I'd waited, they probably wouldn't have even hired me because they would have started to go. But I, I do feel very fortunate that I was able to join when I did. And um, I believe so deeply in our founder and our executive team and our customers that I moved in the middle of the pandemic, moved out here to Logan, Utah, relocated my family and um, just totally having a blast. See, you know, I, um, I think this is something that oftentimes gets overlooked in hiring uh, in startups. And I'll even say scale ups. You know, those that have product market fit, their revenue, their even maybe uh, profitability within sight or already achieved. Um, but there are hires to consider for specific phases. And just because someone was great at one startup or company at one phase to take that person, you know, and, and say, hey, we want them to do for us what they did over there. But you know, someone who may be really good at that B plus uh, era, it, they might be pulling their hair out at seed stage of all the things that go wrong, the constant friction, the inability to move things in a, a neat and tidy way, the the chaos that generally is, is accompanies with it, the the lack of detailed SOPs that are you know in that in that stage. Where do you put yourself? Like, if you had to say that any one of those stages is like kind of best for you. And I'll even broaden it a little bit. Someone to be a chief revenue officer. Like when does a company look for that role? It's a good question. And I would say that, you know, there's like these three different like iterations that early stage companies go through before they transition to being growth stage or scale up companies. Like you said, Nate, at least in my experience, you have that Mm -hmm that zero to one, you know, whether that's figuratively zero to 1 million in revenue or just like the thesis of the book, zero to one. And then that, you know, you're identifying product market fit, you're Mm -hmm. identifying who you can or should sell to. And, you know, typically that's all the founder, like there's found that is the founder doing the work. And then you kind of go like what I call one to 10, whether that's one to 10 million in revenue or just thinking that next chapter, Mm -hmm. you're identifying go to market fit, you're identifying value propositions, you're identifying segments of the market that you think, you know, will, you know, say yes to your price point, or they'll predictably renew. And then you've got like this 10 to 100. Or to me, that's like the acceleration phase, where you need to start assembling the team that can kind of transition from generalists to specialists. And I think that's really where I found the most energy and joy you know, joining a business that's relatively well-funded, that's got good product market fit, that's got good go-to-market fit. We know how to win deals somewhat predictably. And now it's time to apply structure and to implement, you know, a somewhat meaningful organizational chart. Do you have comp plans? Do you have BDRs? Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a full-fledged marketing team? And I think that's probably where I've, I've 
been the best and had the most fun. And, and I learned that through um, an accident at G5. I joined three months before closing a $75 million private equity round, and I got, got to go through it at G5. And getting that once now has given me the opportunity to go hopefully do it again and again. Yeah, I mean, we, we could we could probably spend the whole time talking through what it means to be <laughs> acquisition ready uh, and what that process looks like, you know, how you communicate that to the team, what you do and don't communicate to the team. And of course, there's plenty of theories around that. Uh, and that in of itself is a whole special stage. <laughs> we, totally. Going through that at a veil, you know, even as, as, you know, I wouldn't say that my role was, it was certainly not the role to have to, to get that deal to go through. That was our founders and a few of our data folks, you know, really making sure that that happened. But some of the role that I had an opportunity to play in that, um, it was challenging. It was nerve wracking. Uh, but you know, just even getting to that point was, uh, to now is, is an advantage to think about like, Hey, that, that might not come as fast again, but these are some of the things that if we can get in place, it presents us, it gives us the opportunity to, to enter that stage and talk through that. Um, well, we'll keep going here. So I'm going to, I want to talk now a little bit more specific into rent dynamics. Yeah. Um, let me start with this first because you, you talked about helping the residents, but you're working with building owners. Who's the customer? We are a B2B to C company. So we sell directly to the owners and operators. We work with uh, ownership groups all over the U.S. and um, tons of the you know the biggest third-party management companies out there. And many of our customers do both. You know they uh, they own and mass own and manage their assets. Um, mm-hmm. But we very much consider the resident to be our customer as well. But we sell to, and the contract is held by the the property management company or the owner but as a byproduct because our product directly impacts residents' lives, especially on the fintech side of the business. Mm-hmm. We really consider ourselves a B2B to C company and that we do have direct line of contact to to both. So a lot of our marketing revolves around the resident as well as our, you know, our client where the contract sits. But um, you know, it's been most efficient to to work with businesses and then through them to work with their residents. And it's just been a much more efficient distribution model for us. What is the benefit to the manager here, right? Because this is like property management software has not always focused on the resident experience. That's not always the first thing. You think through like, how do I automate tasks the property manager is doing, right? How do I save them money and time? How do I collect the rent faster? Why why have even the emphasis on the, the resident? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of it's like, I'd say it's a few, a few fold, if you will. I mean, you look at our marketing suite of products, the contact center, the CRM, it's all efficiency. We're helping, you know, the property teams, but we're certainly impacting the residents by facilitating experience. that's predictable and fast Mm -hmm. and fun when it comes to just leasing and renewal predictability, centralization, which has been, you know, a hot topic the past couple of years, especially being accelerated through uh, the pandemic. But when you look at Rent Plus and like our financial suite of services, um, I think residents are asking for more from their landlords. They're they're expecting more when it comes to the living experience. They want to live in an apartment, but they want the benefits and amenities of a homeowner. They they want maintenance free mm-hmm. living, and I think if you look at the prop tech scene. I mean, centralized maintenance right now. Look at what Sweet Spot 
and HappyCo are doing. I mean, this massive category is really exploding. And I think it's the Mm -hmm. same thing in ours. But to answer your question, I mean, most of our customers um, roll out this Rent Plus program in a way that it sits on their lease. And when residents enroll, sign up for that lease, um, they start to pay for the product directly. And then we share a portion of that revenue back with our customers. And that is a form of ancillary revenue. So it's a win-win. The resident is winning because they're getting this product. They're getting a million dollars in fraud protection. They're getting access to home ownership. They're getting their credit reported to all three bureaus. But for the, the, for the rent payments, you guys are reporting yep. the rent payments. Yep. Yep. But then the property is retaining a little bit of that, that revenue as revenue share, which then becomes an ancillary revenue driver for them because they're, they're keeping some of that as ancillary revenue. And California legislated that multifamily operators had to at least offer a path to reporting rent. Is that, is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yep. Senate bill 1157 SB. (laughs) So you know it. There it is. Yeah. July 1st of 2021. They mandated. Has that been a nice tailwind for you guys? Yeah, it definitely helped help us like really crack the category. I think we really went from telling people why it matters to then getting people, you know, coming to us and asking for help and being compliant. And, um, Mm. it's been a phenomenal way to go expand, you know, the gospel into the, into these businesses. And, um, we're also seeing Fannie Mae and and the the holders of loans care deeply about about this because they naturally want more homeowners in the market. So Fannie Mae recently selected us to be their agency mm-hmm. partner. And so, oh wow, Fannie, yeah. So if you have a Fannie Mae backed loan, um, they actually pay for it to roll this out across your whole portfolio. So now we're reaching out to every owner that has a Fannie Mae backed mortgage. And we are, or loan, excuse me, and we are facilitating the process to have Fannie Mae cover the cost so that residents can get the benefit so there can be more potential homeowners, you know, in the market mm. in the years to come. There's, there's a little bit of a shift um, in emphasizing payment history and overall financial health away from the, the private game that is the credit score. And I, 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 for one, I'm, I'm for it. Credit scores, yeah. um, it, it pisses me off so much when I think about it. Because I had an incident uh, in 20, uh, 2020. So here we are back when everything was shut down. And my, my dad was going through chemo. And so I was driving uh, every week. I would I would leave Chicago, drive to Pennsylvania, and spend a week with him, taking him to his appointments. And then that weekend, I would drive back to Chicago, and I would stay for a week, and then I would drive back. And I did that for three months. I missed one payment. I mean, and I'm talking like a $50 payment. One payment. I've never missed a payment ever on anything, ever. And they, they put that ding my credit. And my credit dropped like 50 points from what? I was like, this is, and it was so infuriating to me because like I knew we were going to be house shopping I just wasn't sure exactly when. And I was like, I can't, like, this is, this could cost me $100,000, over the term of a, of a loan from, from the different interest rate that I'm going to get. Cause it was like from excellent to good. So I was like, these are, these are big points here that it's going to matter a lot. I just couldn't believe that that, that even is possible. That, that game is still being played. I'm glad to know that rent payments, though, are counting towards. Let me ask you this, and this might be a little more technical. When you're, does 
when a renter is reporting their rent, is each lease a line item on the credit report or is it per, uh, you know, you could essentially have one line item for rent as a a general category. How does that get reported to the, their credit report? It's a great question. We definitely spend a lot of time like educating on credit and I'll answer your question, Nate, but I think your point about like credit awareness is also really important. I mean, north of 30% of all eligible renters right now are Gen Z. So they're less, they're younger than 25 and -hmm. they're graduating college or exiting high school with zero concept of this. And it's one of those things that like education is a humongo gap in terms of how we like help here. Um, and I think that's like a, another win for the landlord is to play a role in helping residents level up. And that's certainly how we see it. But um, the way that it works on the, the credit score is that you get uh, a trade line um, added yep. to your file and you can have a rent trade line. And so that's what happens here. So if a resident you know moves in, they get to open up a brand new trade line, which will thicken their file, which helps. It's just like opening a new credit card. Um, we partner with a utility billing company. And if you're working through us and them, you can also get a second trade line for utilities. So then you're on time oh, rent okay. and utilities, which now double thickens your file. So it's all about adding you know, trade lines to your overarching credit file to thicken it. And all of the modern credit scores like the FICO 10 are now accepting that for um, making sure yep. it's going to impact your prime rates and all that kind of stuff. Now all we need is all banks to start looking at the FICO 10, um, which is a whole, that's, a, it's so funny to think about, right? Is like, we have this, like you have different versions of FICO scores, like you would an operating system and the banks get to choose which ones they look at of which of the credit reporting agencies they look at. And so you could be doing all the right things and still not get as good a a score because they chose to use essentially windows 95 of credit scores to evaluate (laughs) your credit worthiness, you know, but I mean, it's such as the world we live in, you know what I mean? Can we talk a little bit about the, the, uh, the card program, the plus debit card that you guys are doing as well? Cause you're not just, you're not just stopping there with credit reporting. You've gone a little bit further for residents. Yeah. I mean, our, our founder's name is Quincy Rich. He's been here since day one and he is super, super smart, super creative, has all the great like identities and, and qualities of a, of a founder. And he's always thinking about ways to create wins for, you know, our customers, for us, for our residents. And, uh, as we think about this, like future of being like the premier, provider of residential financial services, which is very much like the long term for what we want to be. Um, You know, he thinks a lot about how do you help people establish credit? How do you help people improve credit? How do you help people that are maybe that like class A lifestyle protect credit? And then Mm -hmm. eventually, how do you help people if they want to buy a home? And for us, we really saw that that debit card, that secured credit card is another path to add more flexibility to, you know, the amenities that our clients can offer to their residents. And you think through the long term of that, of having, you know, a a branded debit card that they get access to if they want it, great, if not, no problem. And then ideally they carry that into the rest of their life. And that becomes something that they Mm -hmm. can get benefit from forever. But again, you're opening now multiple trade lines, establishing, improving credit, and it just very much fits into the flexibility and the long-term mission and vision for the business. Yeah, very cool. No, I, and I, I I like that. I think it, you know, I think that I hate to say it as a trend, 
but the trend to care about resident experience, which feels like it's 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 just not. I mean, resident experience. If you even look up Google Trends on yeah. the search of it, it, it's it's just non-existent. It's still so low because it's not the thing you look for. We, you know, we look for property management, but it's not always implied to that is the consideration there. You know, we've had the like the the race to amenities or the amenities race, if you will, of like who can add the best amenities, right? Until we found out that like maybe that doesn't just drive rent through the the roof. There's other. <laughs> There's some more basic things like respond to phone calls and good maintenance and, you know, friendly person at the door is enough and it doesn't have to be Pelotons mm-hmm. in every, in every totally. apartment to get, get people to move in. But I think it's a, I think it's a positive thing for the industry overall. And, uh, you know, I think long term, I think this is going to be a win, but it's certainly difficult to demonstrate the value because it's, Maybe for some operators, that's un, it's an unproven idea. So how do you guys overcome that where, hey, it's like, I don't know if I want to pay for all these extra tenant things. Like, it seems like a distraction or maybe they won't like it and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple things. I think one is people in general, I, I think, want to do good. And I think when you like really go through the teaching conversation on Rent Plus specifically, it does sound like a good thing to offer. And mm-hmm. we report more rental payment data to TransUnion than TransUnion does. We're the biggest reporter and furnisher of of rental payment no data. No way. And there's a lot of like significance that you can provide through the teaching conversation. And you know, one of the the big kind of trend lines over the past couple of years has been the rise of ESG. So really mm-hmm. thinking about your impact across the environment, social and corporate governance. And it's pretty easy for people to, you know, demonstrate environmental responsibility with water consumption or paperless billing. It's pretty easy to say that you're following the rules as it relates to the G. The S is quite hard to measure. And as you look at like the competitiveness of raising capital, um, going public, becoming a REIT, all of a sudden the modern investor cares about all three. So we really see this as a play if you buy in to do a socially responsible initiative and to say, hey, across Nate's portfolio, we helped our residents raise their credit scores by 100,000 points last year. Mm-hmm. And it was a compelling reason for them to also say yes to the renewal. And you're right. Renewals and residents matter right now, especially with softening rents and mm-hmm. the balance mm-hmm. of supply and demand. And so for us, like leaning in to that value proposition at current not to say that the value proposition won't iterate over time because it totally will. Um, but right. right now that's definitely been, you know, rent dynamics will help you put the S in your ESG story. I'm trying to keep my dog quiet over here. So if you hear a few whines, he's a, he's a Sheba and he is, he is a little frustrated that he is not the center of attention at the I moment. Get it, I so, get it. you know, it is what it is. Thanks for saying hi, Mr. Fox. Now, why don't you go take a nap? So let <laughs> But on that note, though, especially with, you know, you talk about what operators may or may not be. I'm going to pause for just one second yeah, here. Do think- and I usually like to not pause, but I'm going to pause for just a second. Let me try and figure out what his jam is. Yep.
Sorry about that, man. I no, am. Man, uh, you're good. I get it. He's usually pretty solid, but I don't know what his deal is today. I actually, you're I totally I good. Know what, I think I do know what his deal is. Um. All right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you about renewals and uh, turnovers. So with, with rents softening, the cost of turning over unit units is probably a little bit more high visibility. What are some of the trends or things you're hearing from operators as to how they're looking to looking at, you know, how do they keep the renewal rates high and really what's, what's genuinely working to get people to renew versus turning over and risking either going lower on rent or, or even just incurring the costs of a general turnover. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're hearing about it every single day from customers as well as from future customers. And I, I'd say one of the big things is like you mentioned earlier, like it doesn't have to be throwing the kitchen sink at the property. Sometimes it just has to be having someone kind to answer the door. And I'd mm-hmm. say there's been like almost like a doubling down of soft skills on site. We're seeing a lot more people invest in sales training for their property teams. We're seeing a lot more people standardize workflow as it relates to the things you should be doing with your residents throughout the whole life cycle, not just the cliche, all right, 60 days out, send them a notice of their renewal and their 25% increase. And if they leave, it doesn't matter because we'll find a new one. So I think we're seeing a lot more like TLC as it relates to nurturing the resident throughout. I mean, one of our customers has a fund money budget for their property manager to make sure that if there's an opportunity to do a surprise and delight for the resident, meaning you see someone going out for a run, run across the street and have a cold Gatorade waiting for them when they come back inside. And it's that Mm. like baseline stuff that's like human, right? But we're seeing a lot more emphasis on expense as it relates to retaining versus expense as it relates to going and finding net new. And we're definitely seeing a lot more attention to that across the whole choreography. And another thing, Nate, is that a lot of the executive contacts I have in these big, you know, 5,000 plus unit operators, mm-hmm. they are spending a lot more time on site, making sure that the whole thing is running as it's intended to be. And I think that attention to detail, that proximity is just helping. Oh, interesting. Now, personally, it, uh, I like the idea of having a treat when I come back from a run. I would go for a warm cookie. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for that. I mean, we used to, um, I, I don't know why I, I, this always stands out in my head of like just so brilliant yet so simple at every one of our open houses when I worked at a home builder on the weekends, uh, we would have fresh baked cookies in the oven. And I learned a lot about that. Like the moment when you walk in and that, that smell of like fresh sugar cookies, right? Just like hits you as you walked in. I've always thought about that. There's like something about, and so I think, I think that could work in apartment buildings too. Every Friday there's like uh there's bagels and or cookies down in the, I, I'd go for it. Even if I was trying to eat, eat good, I, no, I'd be, I, I would live there. There, there is a ton happening in prop tech right now that like is amplifying this too. I mean, a company that I'm like pretty fond of is called with me and they do in office printers and they just open up a second branch called sip with me and it's in office coffee machines for the community. And I mean, Hmm. I think we've probably as an industry looked more closely to hospitality than ever before. And right now we're seeing a ton of that. I mean, you talk about the double tree from Hilton that predictable warm chocolate cookie when you check in. 
we literally have clients who have said, okay, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do warm. Why not? And like, it works. It does. It's soft. It it doesn't sound measurable, but I think sometimes doing the things that are hard to measure is the difference between retaining and losing. Delta has the, the premium cookie on, on your flights. And is it the best cookie in the world? I don't know. Maybe is the coffee terrible that you dunk it in? Absolutely. But it's just, it, it, is it worth the extra money to go on a Delta flight versus United? And maybe for many reasons, the Delta over <laughs> United. Okay. <laughs> but, but that cookie, you're not wrong. It's a, it's a little, it's a little bit of delight that, uh, and, and I, I don't know about you, how you feel about, it, but I, I've talked about this with my teams a lot over the years. And I talk about aim to deliver delight. And there's something there's something wonderful about that as a as a word and thinking about what that emotion must feel like to be delighted in something. Um, totally. Let's let's talk a little bit about podcasting, media, and the industry as a whole. So yeah, let's do it. you know, I I focus in on prop tech, and you are a subject matter expert in really multifamily, which plays well into your day to day role. Fill me in on what. You cover on your podcasts, um, you know, and the types of episodes you do, and what you guys are you know, really focusing on at the moment. Yeah, so I mean, mo- modern multifamily is you know my personal, you know, project, if you will. I just crossed my 80th episode. I've, I'm backlogged. I've got 10 recorded that are just sitting on ice, and I only ship once a Jealous. week. Jealous, um, but it feels good. Oh, to be so on many. Side. That's great. Yeah. Um, but you know. I, I am an academic. I love to learn. I think a lot of people like to learn. And I think media is the future as it relates to codifying expertise and wisdom and and things like that. And um, I just like to do things that other people aren't doing. And a couple years back, no one was talking to other people in multifamily and amplifying conversation. There was one podcast that was really happening. And so when I changed gigs, left from G5 to Rent Dynamics, I figured I'd use my month off to build something on my own. And Modern Multifamily really fulfilled that, you know, hey, I want to talk to new people. I want to learn more about the industry. I've only been in it, you know, for eight years. But I also want to be able to create a destination for other people who want to move a little bit faster to go learn from some of the people who have done different interesting things. And so... Largely, it's an interview-style podcast. I talk to typically executives and founders that are building the future of the industry through technology or you know property operations, and I try to keep them pretty punchy, 30 minutes or less, and I ship weekly, and recently started a news- newsletter on top of it just to help amplify a little bit more my point of view, but also other people's points of view. So modernmultifamily.fm is kind of the all-things mic through multifamily media it's it's like you were ready to give that pitch i love it um for for people who because i'm sure you get asked this question from time to time like it's so much work to run a podcast i tried it once and i got two or three weeks in and didn't have content or didn't know how to get guests and i i'm always confused by that i'm like i feel like there's so many people that should be doing a podcast and but i'm curious from your perspective like who do you think should be doing podcasts like i'm sure there's people listening to this because i see prop tech founders do it every once in a while i see venture capitalists spin up their own podcasts who should be podcasting everybody i i really think that like the riches are in the niches and i think that you know one of the big things that people struggle with is like 
whether it's imposter syndrome or like the spotlighting effect, which I'm like, I think is super interesting is this like fear of like doing something that fails. And I don't really know what the like goal is when you start a podcast. I didn't have one. It wasn't to get 10,000 downloads or anything like that. But what I find really fascinating about it, Nate, is we all have a point of view. We're all curious and we all talk or learn in some way, shape or form. And why not just do it behind a microphone and then share it. And the value in that, whether it's just like networking or seeking out mentorship or, you know, all of the people that are on the job market right now, they could be doing so much with media. And I think that's where for me, I think anyone who has a point of view or anyone who's deeply interested about something somewhat specific should start a podcast. And in time, yeah. you'll build an audience and you can go wider. I certainly have. I know you have, but I think a lot of people should. And I think that the fear of, you know, not getting big or whatever, don't let that hold you back. But that's just my personal two cents. I mean, my, my, I've talked about this a few times. I mean, I started the show because I identified PropTech as a niche I wanted to get into. I had an agency we worked with early stage PropTech companies, helping them scale through their growth through paid media. It's like, well, how am I going to get on the phone with these founders? I don't come from prop tech. I don't know anybody. And I was like, well, I'll interview them. (laughs) So the interview is what I, you know, I had designed as a needs analysis call. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's all the same questions. Tell me about your business. What's working? What's not working? Who are your customers? What are they like? What the, you know, that sort of thing. But honestly, you know, over time, like that motivation changed once I joined Avail full time. I was like, okay, great. I don't have to ask. I don't have to use this as a sales funnel anymore. And I think about if I had to start all over in any industry, it doesn't matter. I would just start a podcast because I'm, you know, you constantly talk to your ideal customer or your prospects, or you quickly find out who your ideal prospects really are and who they aren't. So you don't burn any time running down the wrong way. But I also look at the fact that now I'm like, so what's my end game? What's the goal? And I'm like, I get to deliver some value to the industry first. I take a true like product-led growth. How do I deliver value before asking for the sale? Or can you deliver enough value where people ask you, like, how do I pay for something here? What do I, what do I give you? What, what can I? And I think over time, you know, somewhere along the way, I'll, I'll, there'll be some cash in on, on it. But I think, you know, we talked about a little bit of the show, the network. Yep. Of, you know, the, the, the people you have opportunity to meet and to collaborate with, you know, you know, you and I being on the show together, I was like, I was excited to have you on. Cause I've been seeing you killing it for a while. It's like, well, I got to have, if I get Mike on tech nest, <laughs> that basically means we've made it, <laughs> you know, and that's, it, and it's true, but I want to ask you something that's related here because, you know, no shame on this at all. I pitch people come on the show and I, I see a partnership opportunity. I make sure I hang up. I'm like, Hey, I want to ask you something. And I, I dig right into the pitch. How do you balance the the personal podcast in your professional role? And of course, there's going to be overlap. You know, how do you approach that and and take advantage of when opportunities really are there uh, to not let them slip by? I I love what you just said, and I totally agree. And um, I would say I really believe in like give, 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 and then ask as just like yeah. my overarching thesis to content. Gary and, Vaynerchuk. You know, Totally. And jab, 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 a, right hook. And as a marketer, I really believe in like creating an inbound motion, like category marketing versus product marketing, occupy mind share. So when people are thinking mm-hmm. about your product, you're in the top three, they will come to you when they're ready to start looking. 
don't waste your time on the 98% of people that aren't looking. And exactly my, my thesis as it relates to like modern multifamily or Mike Wilbur as a brand is if I give so much value to the industry through conversation and amplification of what I think is happening in the industry that's interesting and I can become as, as someone who's trustworthy and has a point of view, there will be a natural byproduct that good things will come from this content, even if it's hard to measure. But I, yeah. mean, I can tell you that 10% of my guests have convert, converted into customers, um, but they've asked me. I've not had to ask them. I created so much value and awareness in that organization that when the time was right to talk about one of our cores, they reached out. And yeah. that is a good, intangible, long tail of doing something that's equally good for my current employer as well as for myself in the long term. Because I think that's another way that people can think about the benefit of, the, of, of a podcast or a media outlet is marketing yeah. yourself, which is something a lot of people don't know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll not, not to keep harping on the podcasting, but I'm going to get onto one more piece here. Cause I think you understand this. A lot of times I, I you know, people are looking to build a, a following. They want the listenership and listenership's cool. I guess, I don't know if you want to be famous and things like that. I kind of like being somewhat unknown, but only known to a few mm-hmm. and the few that I get to hang out with and talk to and, really relate to our founders are the VC investors. They are the, the movers and shakers of our industry. It, 99% of prop tech has never heard of me or the tech nest show. And that's okay. I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that because I want to reach right to the, the C-suite. Um, you know, what, what's your take on how you select your audience and then the benefits of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe in fishing with the fishing pole versus throwing a net out as it relates to content media in general. Um, I believe in signals and then using signals to like refine what you're going to keep doing. And I also believe in like energy, like I talked about in the beginning of the show, just like doing things that also make you feel good and make you like want to do more. And I think that when you try to be, you know, kind of a master of none, like Mm. it's hard to keep going because you're doing things you don't necessarily want to do. And as soon as you refine, no, I just need these 20 people to know about me. And from there, your sphere of influence starts to grow because those 20 people talk to their 20 people and that's when it gets really good. Um, You got to play the long game though. So I do believe that like the more like niche you can be the better as it relates to your LinkedIn and social media voice, your podcast voice, the audience that you try to build, the people you try to have on. Cause I think a lot of people get lost trying to be someone else or to be everything versus mm. being the right thing for the right person. Yeah. No, that, that's solid. I, yeah, I think that's really good. And, um, oh man, I, I, if I could start over, there's a handful of things I would have done differently, but you know what I would have done differently is my first season. I launched, uh, I want to say it was like eight, eight or 10 episodes, right? All at once. And I, I wouldn't change that. Um, but I'm in the car with my, my buddies. I literally just closed the laptop, shipped everything. Right. And I'm a, I'm a fearless shipper, man. I just ship it and close and walk away. Yep. There's reasons maybe to not do that. And we're in the car and like, oh, we want to hear your podcast. I was like, I don't want to listen to this thing, man. Don't put this thing on. So they they put they they pulled up one of the episodes. It was one of the episodes. It was the one episode. I don't know how I did this, but like I, when editing all of them together, and I was still new to editing, I forgot to edit out like the pre-show banter. So there's all this pre-show banter in it, and I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not recording right yet. This, I mean, this won't be on the show, you know. <laughs> 
totally that's is. Funny. <laughs> but you know, it was like I got back from you know, and, and we were headed into the wilderness. I was not going to have any signal, so I literally shipped it and went offline for like four days. And when I got back, you know, the world hadn't crumbled, nothing had changed, and I just quickly changed, you know, edited and re-uploaded, and no one emailed me angry at me. And every once in a while, totally. I get a feedback. I've made a few mistakes since then, but like, I just, you know, it was like one of those things to like, I needed that in the first season just to get over that fear of like, what if it doesn't go right? And, you know, it's just been the, the regular publishing that's really been helpful, you know, keeping moving forward. All right. Before we uh, shift too far into the bottom of the show, I want to get onto the network. So, you know, you, you're, you're running revenue over Rand Dynamics. You have your own podcast and now you're building out a network to further support the industry. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so uh, one of my good friends uh, on more of the agency side um, does tons of custom branding and digital marketing websites for um, early to mid-sized developers. His name's Chris Arnold. He is the co-founder of an agency called Authentic. Um, he's a longtime host of a really cool show called Transforming Cities, and we've just like really connected uh, over the last year or so as it, re- as it just relates to like the power of media. And we both are having fun creating in our respective worlds. We have a tiny bit of Venn diagram, but we're pretty separate in terms of who we talk to. Mm-hmm. And we both see the same, call it problem, call it opportunity, whatever. I'm an optimist. I'll just say like opportunity, which is to like connect all of the content creators that want to amplify in the rentals market to create a space where it's easy for them to get in front of, you know, their respective niche audience. So mm-hmm. Smarter Living is going to be, I think, the premier destination when it comes to podcast network. Eventually, I think we see a path to doing some niche, like in-person podcast events. Um, a conference would not surprise me down the road. Um, and really just helping, you know, small creators get in front of a bigger audience and hopefully double down in their current audience but then on the consumer end, to make it easy for them to find content because a lot of people are interested about student housing or prop tech or development. Mm-hmm, and there mm-hmm, are beautiful mm-hmm. shows for all those. And Google and Spotify's SEO can make it pretty hard to find them. And that's really our vision for it. Oh my gosh. It, let's not even talk about the Apple podcast app. It's so horrible. It, it literally, like, I can't, still can't use it well. I agree. I don't understand why. Am I the only one? No, I, I'm exclusively on Spotify <laughs> for that reason. The only thing is, I, I will say this. Have you noticed your Apple podcast downloads increase recently? Mm-hmm. Big time. Okay. So I thought it was just me, and I talked to a few people recently, and I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here, but I'm okay with this. But I have noticed Apple is pushing podcasts a little bit harder these days to, to get them onto people's phones. But... You know, it is what it is. I, I, I don't pay attention to the metrics all that much because genuinely, to some degree, they're vanity, but it is what it is. Well, yeah. All right, Mike, we are going to transition. And I don't know if you've listened, listened to the show before, but we're going to get into what I like to call for the future. For the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Okay. I'm ready. All right. First one's easy. What does Rent Dynamics look like one year from now? I think in one year, Rent Dynamics will be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and just as focused on our core product and our core mission of making lives better. And my world specifically, I think I'll have 
eight or nine more people on the sales team. I think I'll have a little bit of a bigger marketing team, but ultimately I think we'll be more well-known, still having fun, but charging the same direction, which is high and to the right. Love it. All right, number two, what year is it that 75% of multifamily rental operators are offering rent reporting? Probably 2026. We're about 10% 10 adoption right now. Um, We're seeing competitors come in monthly. The, The space is getting crowded, and that's a great signal to me. That, that it's, you know, becoming a category. It was interesting joining when they, we were a, a company in a category of maybe two. And now to be in mm-hmm. a category of 18 to 20 feels mm-hmm. good to me. Feels very validating. Fannie Mae feels very validating. Um, and I think there's just a lot of good signals that this is becoming table stakes and that residents are starting to expect it as well. A lot of our inbound is residents asking the property manager and the property manager reaching out to us. And so yeah. I think that acceleration is is near term. Um, it will probably take three to four years to get to that 60 to 75% number, but I definitely think like the trajectory has begun already to get there. All right, number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Let's see, one industry trend that I think will continue I think marketing teams will still be posting national hot dog day pictures to have content for their property pages. And I think so will some of the prop tech companies out that are still trying to find their social voice. Um, The belief that posting something is better than nothing on social is very much a a trend, not technology, but a lot of the, but if someone looks at our Facebook page and sees that we haven't posted for two weeks, they'll think that we've gone out of business. Is, Is it that line of thinking? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 There was a time that was really pushed as best practice. I know. For those know. of us who can remember. Uh, and I hated and regretted it. <laughs> I, d- I despised it then I yep. <laughs> and still do now. Yep. All right. Last one on for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I think that overarching big bet for me is that the creator economy is going to wildly impact this industry. I think people like you, people like me that are charging on connecting with people, amplifying conversation. I think it's going to help brands grow faster. I think it's going to help people rise faster. I think it's also going to kill technology companies that don't, you know, invest in having evangelists that work for their business or help evangelize Mm. their business. And I really think that the creator economy is in the early days in our industry of becoming something where people choose to have a point of view that isn't National Hot Dog Day. It's their personal take on a category or the industry. But I I truly believe that creators are going to be the future of how property technology companies grow and also how operators grow through better recruiting and more modernized executive and senior level leadership teams. And I really think doubling down on creators is going to be a huge opportunity, just like we've seen in the enterprise for the past handful of years. Do you know when National Hot Dog Day is? No, is it soon? <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, you just said it for the second time. I'm like, all right, I know it's a day. I, I just, it's got to be. You know, we make a day for everything, and this is America, and it's a hot dog. It's got to have. We got to have a national day. Um, I am getting a search result saying July nineteenth, twenty twenty three. I also see a, a sub note, maybe that it's the third Wednesday in July. 
so may not be the same day every year. I'm surprised it's not just tacked on the July 4th. Right? <laughs> You're like, that makes sense to me. But uh, there is an actual day here. All right, we're going to move into the last three questions. Mike, these are more about you, so our listeners get to know you just that much better. Uh, first one, what are you reading? Right now, I am reading Flip the Script. It's absolutely incredible. It's written by uh, oh. Orrin Clough, who writes a couple amazing books. You might know him as the author of Pitch Anything. Uh, yes. And it's like a psychology book. It's all about getting people to think your idea is their idea. And it's been an incredible read. And he's got a very human writing voice. Uh, I feel like he's talking to me, not talking at me. Um, so highly recommend. I loved Pitch Anything. Me the too. Learning how to reframe conversation. Mm -hmm. I read that book and at the time I was still pretty junior marketer and, and I somehow made my way to get a one-on-one -on -one with our VP every week, even though I didn't report to him. And I read that book and I was like, Oh, that's why he's annoyed by me. Cause I just like to chit chat before we get down to business. Mm -hmm. And the first day after I was like, I was like a bull in a China. I just ran in, sat down, let, and just hit him full hundred miles an hour, just digging into things. And he's like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are we? And I, I got his attention real fast. And I noticed the tone and the response and everything in our meetings after that totally changed and shifted. And I took all that from, so um, I, I'm right now, I just bought that book. Love Flip that script. <laughs> it's going to my house. Love it. Number number two, who are you learning from? I really believe in the power of mentorship. Really believe that your mentor should change as your career evolves. They should be people that are, you know, peer level, but also aspirational. And I would say mm. as of very, very recently, um, last six to 12 months, I've been learning a lot from Mike Brewer who is the president and COO of Radco Residential, a 5,000-unit owner-operator out of Atlanta, Georgia. Runs an incredible podcast called The Multifamily Collective. He just crossed 1,400 episodes. And wow. I learned a ton from Mike. He's active on social. He cares deeply about people. Um, he doesn't know it, but he's definitely a mentor and inspiration to me. And I learned a lot from Mike Brewer. That's awesome. Last one here, what inspires you? There's a Matthew McConaughey um, clip on YouTube from him accepting an Oscar for winning actor, best actor for Dallas Buyers Club back in 2014. And he talks about like the three people that everyone needs. They need someone to look up to, someone to look forward to, and someone to chase. And ever since I heard this clip, it's like super inspired me that I'm always chasing mm. myself in 10 years. And I'll never catch him. And ever since I heard it, that is what inspires me. I mean, doing right for my family. I'm a family first guy, proud husband and father. But this like notion of how great I want to be, I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great employer. I want to be a great employee. I want to be an investor, an athlete, balanced, a great son. Um, that's all aspirational. And I find a lot of inspiration thinking about who I want to be in 10 years, who I want to be known as in 10 years, mm. knowing that that's a moving target because I'm never going to catch it. Yeah, so is the saying something like people often overestimate what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in five or something like that? Yep. And, you know, kind of, is that how it goes? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's day or, or year, but yes, it's basically this concept that like most people are short-sighted, good mm. things happen over time. 
Very mm-hmm. few people play the long game. And I like to think crazy big man in 10 years, where do I want to be? And I love to think about that kind of stuff. And it just fires me up every single day. All right. Bonus round question. What's your retirement vision? Uh, I want to be done operating businesses by the time I'm 40. I'm 34 right now. Uh, and I want to be full time, um, you know, passively operating real estate, um, probably consulting and advising in prop tech and eventually probably operating again. But I really want to use, enjoy like the prime years of my kids um, mm. and not be operating businesses like I am right now. So I've got about six years left to fulfill that. I'm well on my way. Um, but that would definitely be a huge part of my like hybrid retirement is take a chapter to do business with my pinkies. And then when it makes sense, get back into full-time <laughs> operating. Then that, that'll be, uh, at that point, Mike will have seven podcasts, uh, one for every day of the week. So looking forward to that. Uh, I hope you get there sooner than not. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Uh, this totally breaks the normal uh, pattern of, of what I do on our, our interviews on this show. And I was excited to have you on because there's so many angles we could have gone. Uh, but this worked out really well. For anyone who wants to get in touch with you, learn about Rent Dynamics, your podcast, Modern Multifamily, or the Podcast Network, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, two simple call to actions, really active on LinkedIn, Mike Wilbur. There aren't that many of them. I've got an AI headshot with a bright green backdrop, so I'm pretty hard to miss. And I love media. And if you ever want to follow kind of what I'm doing, building, or participate as a guest or subscriber, head over to modernmultifamily.fm and you'll see podcast, newsletter, blog, and all that kind of stuff right there. Boom. There it is. Uh I, I'm really fingers crossed hoping we get a chance to meet and hang out later this year. Uh, so hopefully we'll get a chance to do that at an event. But until then, we'll see you around. Thank you for hosting. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.